Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another Creativity in Focus a podcast, a live podcast, that, where we highlight artists and their arts almost every time. Sometimes we talk about the business side of art, which we are going to do today. My name is Shahar Boyayan. And we are going to discuss today how to create desire in order to sell your art. But if you don't mind, I want to ask you a favor first, and that you share this. You know, we are going to be talking about how to position yourself and your art out there, what to do to, to get attention and how to create desire. So if you know people that would like to have this information or you participate in some groups that talk about the business side of, of art, well, share that with them as soon as possible. As you know, Facebook especially, I know you may be watching on YouTube or another channel, but Facebook recently changed the rules quite drastically about pages. And unless we count on you, uh, to spread the word, people are just not going to see anything that we post. So, you know, if you could take a second and, and you know, just, just share this with other people, I really would appreciate that. The other thing is, uh, you see that you have the like button and the heart button. If you give us some heart in the first two minutes, that helps a lot as well. So I would really appreciate. I'm going to do the same thing here, for example, so I can also share this on my profile and in other places as well. Uh, the other thing is, even though we are, I'm going to be talking to you about business concepts, and it might be something that you are uh, you know, used to or not, you just don't like that side, but if you feel like asking questions, do so. Post in the comment, and I'll be happy to answer that. I'll be checking here uh, every now and then so I can answer your questions. You know, if you're struggling in any part of your business to get your art sold, let me know, and maybe I can help you. Uh, maybe not, but I've been doing consulting, especially neuromarketing consulting, which is a type of marketing that relies on the brain, on the unconscious part of the brain, to predict behavior. And with that, you can craft something that is beneficial to people. I'm not going to try to sell you absolutely anything during this podcast. I'm just telling you that's my background. I've been doing this for many, many years, 13 years just here in South Lake City. And why do I like this type of marketing? And maybe you get interested in that as well. It's because I can rely on. I just told you a second ago that Facebook changed their rules a few days ago, which will impact in a very sharp way businesses trying to market on, on Facebook. And you may think this impact only big companies, but no, it's going to be, it will be impacting you as an artist if you have a page where you display your art. And so, so that, that is the one issue that social media brings with it. It's not your playground, it's their playground. They allow you to come into their sandbox so they can change rules anytime they wish, which it's complicated sometimes because you have, you might have to learn new things, learn new steps. So it's always changing. When we are thinking about marketing, that's annoying, right? If all the tools, everything around us is changing all the time, how can we create something, a campaign, a structure, a ritual that will really stick and give us results and that we can rely on? Well, we can rely on our brain. The unconscious part of our brain, the reptilian brain, has not changed in the last, the, the last 50,000 years. So it's very easy to predict how it's going to react, which I, I want to tell you that it's kind of easy sometimes to, pre to, to have an idea on how people are going to behave around something. And that's why I think I can give you today some tips on how to, 
to you know, get more traction for your art. Okay, enough about the marketing piece, because the title here is how to create desire. Why should you create desire? So after all, you create that beautiful piece. It speaks by itself. The world really should love that piece, but you put out there, and you either don't get a lot of reaction, especially if you're trying on social media, or you just don't sell the piece. And then you start thinking, and the first thing you think is that the price is too high because we are conditioned with that. We always tend to think that the reason something is not happening is price-wise. That's one reason people have such a hard time figuring out the price of their, their pieces because they think it needs to be right, it needs to be according to a formula. So, uh, you know, one part is for cost, one part is for your time, the other is profit, therefore it should work. Guess what? It works wonders if you're selling tomatoes, potatoes, bananas. But when it comes to art, no, because we are talking to people on an emotional level. The other thing is, besides price, that potatoes, tomatoes, and bananas, we need to eat, we need to get ourselves nourished, is a need. I have to go and get it or I die if I, don't, if I don't eat. But art, I can postpone. And that can be a problem when you are the one trying to make the money. So try to look at this this way. We all know we need vitamins, right? You, you, your skin gets better, your body, your immune system, everything is good with vitamins. So you should be buying vitamins. But if you don't buy today, nothing happens. If you don't buy tomorrow, nothing happens either. If you wait a month, probably nothing happens. Now, if you have a crucial toothache right now, what happens? You stop whatever you're doing, you get in the car, and you go get some medicine for that ache. It cannot wait. It needs to happen right now. So when you're creating art, you have to think, okay, is art a medicine? or a vitamin. And the difference between those two is people will do whatever it takes to get the medicine. They don't consider price, they don't consider anything. But a vitamin, they can postpone. Well, things that bring us pleasure, as, as important as they are, can be postponed. And so that's one challenge that you are always going to be facing with your art, because people can postpone to buy. So unless you put that art in a different perspective, it can get tough. It can get very tough in many situations because if anything happens in the world today, anything negative happens in the world today, people will go and shift their attention to that because there's fear, there's a lot of stuff. They're not going to pay attention here. So what can you do? There are several things, and we are going to tackle a few of them today. One of them is how you position your art. I already mentioned potatoes, bananas, and tomatoes, right? Well, not only they are necessities people need to buy in order to get nourished, uh, they are also commodities. So if I have supermarket A selling to tomatoes for $2 and have supermarket B selling tomatoes for $2 but they have a co coupon of 50 cents, where are going to, people are going to go? They buy the, the, the one that is cheaper. It's a commodity. Uh, it's okay. You go for whatever is cheap. And there you get the tomato in the cheapest place. So when you're thinking about your art, you need to think, when I present my art to people, how am I presenting that? And that has to do with every single thing and word you say when you're presenting what you're presenting. Because if it's a commodity, it's price-based, so it has no value to people. And if you're 
positioning yourself like, eh, I just do paper crafts and I sell a card here and a card there. That's commodity, has no impact whatsoever on emotions. So people are going to say, well, yeah, but Mary sells them for $2 less. And that's where the frustration starts because you know that the time, just the thinking about creating that, that card that you made, it's not going to be counted on the price because you have to compete with somebody else that is doing sim something similar that you do. And it doesn't have to be somebody close to you. It might be just the social media part. And this person sells for this much, so I cannot sell my hire. That's a false myth. Yes, you can. What you have to do is position your product because your art is your product. Once you want to sell, it's a product. needs to make some profit. In a way that has a higher emotional perception for people. So you can make cards, or you can make memories. You see, just by the, those two words, cards, no value. Memories, well, memories have a lot of value to us. And the older we get, the more they have, right? Because kids have grown. Uh, you know, it was nice when they were around us all the time. Now they are not. So memories have a ton of values. You can see when a disaster happens and for a flood, a mudslide, or a fire, and people lose their things and they are on TV. What is the thing that you always hear them say? I had all my pictures there. I have all my memories there. It has a very high emotional level. So when you're positioning your art, you have to think about that. How can I position my art in a way that has a high emotional value? And it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Let's just take the example of you're sculpting a doll and you're costuming a doll. But when you use that doll, you actually use uh, doilies that your grandmother made. Very high emotional value. Even if you add that the doily was made by somebody else's grandmother, and when you're selling, you're saying, this actually was made by uh, a very old lady that I used to know, and she passed away, but she was always smiling. Her purpose in life was to bring happiness. That's why I decided to make this dress with those doilies. Emotional level, totally different. This can be done with anything, even commodities. Remember, tomatoes, bananas, and potatoes. Well, let's talk about soda, right? Soda is everywhere. It doesn't matter the price. You know you're going to pay 50 cents or $1. Well, there is a company that sells juices, and they are based in the UK. They've been around now for a very long time. And they were trying not only to create a different emotion there, but also to create a different way of people seeing them. So the emotion was the, when you got into the supermarket, you have the soda aisle, and they are in that aisle, and you have all those bottles, and they may vary in shape and color, but pretty much they're the same. When you came into theirs, every single bottle would have a tiny baby hat knitted on top of it. Well, that already detached from everybody else, saying, you're not like me, I am different, right? Creating a different perception, which is, which is a good thing, but there's a lot more. Every single needed hat was made by a senior. And of course, the, the, the company would support seniors, support events around seniors and everything else. But you could even, and I think you still can, I haven't checked lately, but you could even go to their website and request a specific beanie uh, made by a specific senior. See, so they took something that is totally a commodity, a soda, and added a high emotional component. And they became huge, not only in the UK, but their story and their marketing story is being, uh, has been told everywhere that you can think of. Why? Because they, they took away from the commodity too. So how can you do that with your pieces? So I told you about the, the, 
the doily thing. It can, it can have other things. You may be into recycling. That alone can create an emotional connection right away. Anything you say and do. Let me give you a recent example. So as you know, we have Curious Mono and we have classes here. So we invited this instructor from Canada. And she's super cool. And when she introduces herself, she says, I'm Beverly. Uh, I became an artist after 60. Okay, you might think it's just a cool tagline, but look at the, the, the amount of emotional connection that she's creating with people her age or older right there and then. Because how many of us had to wait for whatever factor to get started? Could be emotional, could be life too busy, could be lack of money, I don't know. I don't know your story, but what I know is many of you have started later in life. The moment she talks about that, what happens? She creates an emotional connection with you, which in psychology we also call a rapport. There is a connection. That connection is stronger than price. You see? So when you think you can market and you just show the piece, even on a trade show, and you're just there showing the piece and it has the price. If people want, they buy. I don't like to push things. And you really don't talk to them. You are avoiding that, those types of connections. Simple things matter to people. Years ago, we were doing a webinar when webinars were, were cool to make. And we had a ton of people. And, and every time we track where they come from. And we know that certain uh, audiences are more likely to buy than others. So one that may come and watch, but is not too likely to buy, is the audience that come from Twitter. Twitter is 140 characters and all the things. So they come to check you out. Well, we did the webinar, and we made a sale. And we had a field where we asked where they came from so we can track. And, and this lady said Twitter. And I remember, and it was a high price item for the, this type of webinar. It was over, uh, well, I don't remember it actually, but it, it was more than 100, maybe less than 1,000. And we said, whoa, a person coming from Twitter and buying the first time without being on our list, without having anything, that's unusual. Well, it happened that she wrote us an email for whatever reason, and she said that I mentioned during the, the beginning, the very beginning, uh, that I was divorced, and I was divorced when my daughter was four years old, and I moved on with that, but that was the connection. She was divorced too, she was a single mother too, we created that emotional bond that generated a sale for a very unlikely prospect. So that leads me to, to my second point, that for, in order for you to create desire, you, want, you also want to be storytelling, and sometimes it's briefly telling things in your life that may create a connection with other people. Not talking about your political affiliation or nothing like that. Things in you that make you like them. We live in such a disconnected moment right now because we are connected everywhere on social media, but at the same time, we're not. So if you have to go to the hospital today, you have to ask how many Facebook friends will come visit me? And you know the answer to that. It's very sad. Uh, we also come into a moment that nobody calls anybody anymore to say happy birthday, right? They, they tell you on Facebook and say, I did what I had to do. I went to Facebook and I wished you happy birthday. No more cards, no more phone calls. And that's the way we are living. So we are hunger, hungry for emotional connection and for human interaction. And sometimes just by telling your story on how you can, you really, you're just a person out there that you have your challenges and things like that, you make everything different. Think about that because you might want to incorporate that. And then my last point for today, desire. So for example, I'm not an Apple fan. I, I don't stay in lines. I don't have many. I have some, but I don't have many Apple products. Not my thing. 
But I remember when Steve Jobs came out on a conference and he came in with a manila envelope and he opened that manila envelope and he pulled a MacBook Air out of the envelope. And not only my jaw dropped, I was going, wow, I need that. Well, in my mind was going, yeah, we travel a lot and we are always carrying a laptop uh, walking large distances in airports and that's a pain in the neck, in the back and everywhere else. And that thing not only solved the problem, but it was how he did it, right? He had a manila simple envelope and he grabbed the laptop out of that and, you, and I just went, wow. Steve Jobs, of course, was a master in creating desire. That's why people stay for hours uh, in, on, on a line to get a phone when they can get, go online and get it as well the next day. So he's a master of doing that. And when we talk about creating desire, we need to think about how we can create rituals in our business. So think about this, because if you're trying to sell art, yes, you are in the business. You might not like the word business and marketing, and I get that, many people don't, but that's what you have to do. Now you can use social media all day long, and it might be good up to a point, but here are a few points there. First of all, it's not free. You're spending a lot of time there. Time is your most valuable asset you don't have enough of. Second, it changes all the time, like it just did. So that may really impact the business, right? If you are paying your bills with your art, you need to be selling on a constant basis. Every time there is a change in algorithm that puts everything down the drain, and you're starting from zero. I don't know about you, but I don't like to start things from zero all the time. Plus, you cannot rely on a, uh, you can rely up to a point, but not too much on an environment that you really don't control. It's not your spirit. Okay, so you need to have environments that you can control, like your own website, even though that's tough either and there's work involved, but it at least is a place where you can control. Or a newsletter where you can actually have names and emails. As I know you hear all the time that this is old news, nobody pays attention to email, email is dying. Yeah, I would like to invite them to show me their bank account because that's not true. It brings money, it, brings, it keeps that relationship going between buying from you and another uh, painter, for example, they're going to buy from you because there is an established relationship. As long as you provide content, of course, you, you provide good things. If you're just trying to sell, that's not a, a good deal. But if you provide good content, good tips, maybe, maybe ideas uh, for them to, to get better, maybe tutorials, free tutorials, all that is very good. We, we tend to live in a time where we take anything that people say as, oh, that's the way it is. So for example, videos, oh, videos, they have to be two minutes or less when nobody watches. Yeah, really? Well, I have a very successful company when we go for six or nine hours every week. And I can tell you, we have a large audience with ambassadors, people that really like us. Uh, if you look today, right today, not only with me, but with anybody doing uh, live on Facebook, check how long they are. Some of them go way over an hour and people stick. They are in the thousands there. So be careful to adopt everything that you hear. You have to test. You have to know your audience, how they would respond. But back to desire. So how do I create rituals in, in my business? Well, you can actually create rituals in every single shape and form. Why ritual? Why this word? Somehow it doesn't sound like art and rituals go together. Let me tell you why. If we look in the market for two of the most successful industries in the planet, we are going to find churches. Yes, they are businesses. They might not pay taxes, but they are businesses. They rely on the tithing to, to sustain all the structure. Churches, 
and direct selling. Right? They're huge. They're Thousands of them all around the world. Why? Because they are very good in rituals. They all have a process that is followed. And in church, for example, you may have callings, for example, and as uh, you get more experience in those callings, you get more, you get more responsibilities, you got to take care of more people, more events, more things. In multi-level, you start and you have uh, access to only so much information. And then when you move to another level, you get more information, more money, more perks, but more information, more access to the important people. And then you move to the other level that even enhances so you have special parties, special events. These are rituals. They always happen the same way. It doesn't matter if you're selling oils, tissue, whatever. Why? Because it works. Churches, for example, you know how members stick to them. They don't go changing to another one every four months, right? They, they not only embrace the faith in itself, but they embrace the system that it has all those rituals and mysteries because they both have mysteries. If you, if you go into a multi-level and you say, oh, but the, those diamonds, uh, how much do they make or how is it? Nobody's going to tell you. If you go to a church and also uh, ask, so that priest during Saturday is what it is, it's keeping from you. Some information is keeping from you because it relies on mystery. The brain cannot cope with an unanswered question. Every time there is an unanswered question, the brain will stick around until it figures. You think that doesn't work in business? Well, tell me what's the formula for Coke. Or KFC, three, three labs with different recipes that you put together to create the right recipe. Nobody knows who the key is with whom and things like that. What do you think? Right? <laughs> this is a mystery. So keep people together with them. And you can say for the life of McDonald's, how that works, for example, right? Or for Coke, for example, how, how much does that work for them? Really well. So how can you incorporate? I'm going to give you an example that it's outside art and then one that is inside. I just went to the dentist. Maybe that's why I used the example of the root canal. And they had a very structured ritual. Uh, not only for you to schedule the meeting, but once you're there, for example, I was greeted by a marketing person, a very young person, and they did a tour around their office. And he went even to the bathroom, everything and what happened there. So I would get comfortable with the ambiance. The moment I sat on my chair, there was a huge TV. Guess what was playing on that TV? It, tweets, uh, reviews and tweets that people left for that specific office. Okay, in the, in the waiting room, I was watching another TV with things that I could do better, have wider teeth, you know, sleep without grinding my teeth. So uh, yes, I was being upsold to a point, but they were showing that and creating uh, desire in my mind as well. Yes, we can use more white teeth, why not? Uh, well, then I went to the, to the whole procedure. I'm not going to bore you, but everything was a choreography. And then I left. The next day, I got a text from the dentist asking how I was doing, if I was in any pain or not. And of course, I know, I know that's probably automated and everything, but I thought, how cool is that? Because in some years of life, that was the first time I got a text from a dentist. I may get from the secretary a phone calls, but that's not the same thing. It was the dentist, the guy that caused the pain, right? So that was cool. Now let's move that to art. There is a company uh, that is an Asian company that has a, a store here in the US. And they sell ball-jointed dolls. If you've been to Curious Mondo, you already know what that is. And the, the cool part is this, is a huge company. And they opened their store just two days a week, Fridays and Saturdays. All the other days, they are only fulfilling 
online orders. So here's an idea. They have several employees. Just think about the amount of online orders. Well, they have a ritual for everything. One of them is you go into their store or you go with a kid to the store. You cannot carry a bald or jointed doll that it doesn't belong to their brand. If you do, you will be kindly asked to take it back to your car. Only, only their dolls, because they're special. They have emotional value. For you to have an idea, for you to get a doll without hair and without eyes and totally naked, it's going to cost you about $1,500. Remember, they spend five days of the week just shipping. So there are orders. Don't, don't say, I wouldn't pay that. Yeah, you wouldn't, but a lot of people would. Well, inside the, the, the store, you get your naked doll, and you don't know if it should have blue eyes or white eyes. You are going to talk to a consultant. So you sit down with a person and you're going to try different eyes and you try the makeup and whatever else you need during that. But that's not all. Online, what do they do? They use um, uh, auctions to sell their dolls. So when a new one is released, and this one I know you have seen with other artists. So when a new one is released, instead of going and, and just selling, they create a limited amount and then they auction that. And of course, those dolls go for a fortune. Why? Why all this? First of all, because there is a saying, Mark, that you say you have to be, you as a person, but your products as well, more exclusive and less available. The more we make, we create some hurdles that make sense to people, uh, for them to get what we sell, the more value we attach to that piece. So by creating a limited edition, a signed edition, a numbered edition, that's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, I'm going to create 20 of this and never more, or one of this and never more. And then you auction because then you, you get the competition side of, I need to have that. And somebody else is going to say the same, so they are going to bid on that, and there it goes. You've seen this because a lot of people do this using eBay, for example, right? They put for an auction, they tell their friends, their social media friends, and the item is sold some days on the same day. That's one way. Now, there's a lot more to that, and I would love to explain everything to you, but I have a limited amount of time. So what I want you to understand from this is this. Everything you say, do, or present in your piece can be charged with an emotional value. So for example, limited editions, one of a kind, uh, you number the pieces. There are many, many ways. I, I, I'm trying to remember another example of packaging that is unbelievable. But you can add, uh, I've seen another amazing artist the, the other day that she sells through to auctions as well, but then she puts a certificate of authenticity together. It's adding value to that piece. It's very different than just having $10,000 on the table and say it's this much and this much because your neighbor is charging so much. Uh, there's a whole thing there. And then what are the rituals? What do you do? What do you do before you sell, when you have the piece ready, and afterwards? So for example, do you do the work in progress of what you're doing? So I decided to make a rabbit, and today I worked on the ears, and you show the ears, and you say, I hit a, I hit a wall here because I really couldn't decide if the rabbit should have the ears up or floppy ears. Uh, what do you think? Asking people to participate also creates an emotional connection with them. Because, you know, if they say, floppy ears, floppy ears, and you do the rabbit in a, with floppy ears, they are going to say, I help create this. And that has a ton of emotional value. Because we want to be recognized for the things that we do. 
Uh, and then you put the work in progress of that part. And then when you release, you have something that is exclusive. So either you're, it's a signed piece, has a certificate of authentication, uh, is a numbered copy. I'm only going, if you do printings, for example, I'm only going to do 20 prints of that. All those things create. But what do you do after? Do you have a ritual in place where you can follow up with them? Do you even get their names and emails? Because, my friend, you can say you use social media all day long. If you don't have a way to get in touch with them when you want, uh, it's kind of complicated. Because let's take Facebook. You might even have seven, uh, seven not seven, 5,000 friends on your personal profile or a lot more on your page. Well, right now, if you post something, only if in your profile, only 20 people will see. And if it's in your page, probably nobody will see right now. Oh, so how do you run a business that way? How? It's not up to you. It's up to Facebook. And they might choose to, to show your friend's knee surgery 12 times during one week right now. And that happened to me because I've seen my friend's knee surgery already 1,200 times. And you keep thinking, come on, what's going on? But you see, the control is out of my hand, is out of your hand. So how do you communicate with your people in order to keep that desire going? in order to keep them excited about what you do. Uh, you have to figure a way. And you know, believe me, a newsletter can still work really well. You're not going to call a newsletter, you're going to call something else, so it's not a commodity. It has a higher perception. But come on, you could be inspiring them to make, get a collection. Collection, for example, also create desire. So think about why, when you're going to do a series. I want to do a series of, of bunny breed, breeds out there. And I'm going to create 10 breeds. Well, that series, once it's done, is done. Once it's gone, is gone. Also creates a, a higher perception of value. So creating on trilogies, for example. The person that will buy one will probably want all of them. The trilogy, every, uh, the same thing. They don't want part of the story. They want the whole story. You see, I know that most of you, when it comes to talking about business and marketing, you really hate that part. I know that. I get it. But you are the marketer of your business. And if you're an artist, then you are the only marketer of your business. Right? You, you can probably not afford or you don't want to hire anybody to do things for you. And of course, you're the face. You're the person. You're selling yourself when you're selling a piece. Right? So unfortunately, you have to shift that mentality a little bit. Embrace the fact that, yes, you are the marketer of your business. And selling is business. So even if it's art, it's business. And then think about how can I incorporate things in the process that I can, that I can create more desire for what I do. So if a person collects dolls, they always want to collect my dolls. If they collect teddy bears, they will want to collect my teddy bears. They may buy from other people, no problem whatsoever, but they always come back to you. The hardest part in marketing is to make people come back to you. And that leaves me with my last point for today. It's extremely necessary to be consistent. And sometimes that's very hard for artists. So here's my take on that. I'm an artist myself. Being consistent when you're creating. Create different things every day with different mediums and everything. That's OK. That doesn't hurt anybody. But when it comes to the business part, you need to be reliable. You need to be trustworthy. And therefore, you need to be consistent. So if you start a podcast like I do, like I did here, it's every week, no matter what. It can rain, it can, it can snow. You might be in a bad mood. Maybe you didn't wash the hair. Ah, you got to do it. 
every single time because people need to look at you and think, I can trust this person. Our connection is ongoing. It's not every now and then. That is the same for you to send newsletter cards, whatever you, business cards. Oh, let me give you this final piece of advice. If you do trade shows, bazaars, fairs, art walks, whatever, however you call those, do have business cards. I, I, I cannot tell you, I go to a lot of them, and I'm there talking to the ash. Do you have a business card? Oh, no, I don't. It's an old thing. It's an old thing. And I have my website. If you, if you can go to my website. First of all, I have no way of knowing his website. It's not written anywhere. And if it is, and I'm in an art show where there are 200 artists, what are the chances I will be able to remember that website? So I might not be ready to buy your thing now, maybe because I'm carrying heavy bags, or maybe because I don't have the money now, or maybe I'm thinking if this is a good idea to, for a gift for my husband or boyfriend, so I need to think about that. Well, you just lost the sale, right? Because how on earth am I going to talk to you if you didn't give me a way to get in touch? And telling me your Instagram name or your website when I'm walking and being distracted galore is not going to work. So you, you, you can be our, a very, very f easy flow, you know, inconsistent in what you create. Because it's inside your studio, it doesn't affect anything. But when you're thinking about making money, uh, you really need to think, I need to be reliable and I need to be consistent in what I do. And if I need people to come back to me, I need to create ways of doing that. Terry is saying, I'm going to watch this over again. Fabulous advice. Thank you very much, Terry. And I tend to go every single side because it, there's a lot to be talked. And Lucy is saying, good advice. Thank you so much. So you have to think in everything that you do that to create desire, you need, first of all, to position yourself on a higher emotional level. So four-letter words to say you're not good enough. Oh, I ripped here. That's why it's this color, not that. Everything that happens in art is a, is a grateful mistake because it turns into something else. Don't, don't denigrate yourself. Present yourself like you want to be seen. It's very tough for you to sell a piece of $1,000, $2,000 if you're walking around with a T-shirt full of holes. The story is different. Here you say, oh, this is value. I made, uh, valuable. I made this. It's $2,000. But you don't spend $10 to buy a new T-shirt. You're creating a disconnection in the brain. If I create a disconnection in the brain, the brain freezes right away. If the brain senses that anything is not as it should be, it doesn't take action. So it doesn't buy. Do you want me to give you an example that happens to you? Let's say you go to the same supermarket every, every week. Okay? You go there, you know where everything is, correct? You know where the milk is, where the thing, and you, you, turn, you go fast, you get out fast, everything is fine in your day. Well, next week you go there, and the moment you enter, you sense, you don't even need to see, you sense that they shifted everything around. That happens in retail, and then they complain. Shifts everything around. What happens? In that second, you totally freeze. Your mind will not buy anything. And why? Subconscious brain. Fast backwards, many, many thousands of years, we were running away from cyber tigers. So we would go out to get our dinner, but we would be looking because if the cyber tiger showed up, you might become dinner. So every time you sense something shifting that could be dangerous, that could be a threat, you would stop. Because if you don't move, the cyber tiger maybe moves to another person and not to you. It doesn't eat you for dinner. Well, like I told you, that brain hasn't evolved in 50,000 years. So when I go into a, an ambient, a, a place where I'm familiar with and things have shifted, 
What happens? I freeze and I don't make any decision until my brain thinks I'm safe. Well, that is also true. If, for example, in your art, you go to networking meetings and you start the network meeting saying, I'm going to use your name, Terry. Hi, I'm Terry and I wear many hats. Today, I'm making cards, paper cards. But I also have here things I do in clay and blah, blah, blah. Well, what, what is happening? First of all, nobody will trust a person that has too many hats. So you have to be careful. It doesn't mean you cannot sell many different things. I'm not saying that, but it's when you present. Second, it's the same process. Well, I thought you work with paper. What is this about clay? For those moments, I will stop and I will not buy. So it's okay to say you do clay and fiber and glass. That's totally okay. Nobody will complain, but not at the moment you're selling. Because at that moment became an inconsistency, you're freezing their brain. And the last mistake you need to avoid, and then I promise I will shut up, uh, is when, when you are selling, you give them too many options. So for example, let's go with the dolls thing. So they are, they are looking at this doll with a cat, and you show it, and you say, oh, I have this one, this one is this much, and I have this one that has just a kitten, so it's a little bit less, and they look at that. And then they come back to that first cat, and you get and say, oh, but I also have this, that they are just 20 each. Because in your mind, you're judging your audience, and you're thinking, oh, the way they look, they don't have money, so I'm going to offer the, the thing. But look, their eyes are still on that cat. But you're screwing up the sale, because you're judging your audience, and the other thing is you're giving them too many options. Our brain doesn't like to think. It runs on a 12-watt battery. It's less than the one you have in your fridge. So every time you require the brain to think too much, it stops. So when you're offering them too many options, you cause the brain to freeze, and they don't buy. They will say, okay, I'll think about it, and I'll come back later. Let me go around the trade show, and I'll come back. And you never see them back. And you think they don't have the money, but it's you that really screw up the sale. So when you're offering something, offer option A and option B. Or if you first offer option A, the cheap, then option B, the very expensive. 20% of people will always get the more expensive. It's not up to you to judge them. But do this, play with this, and you're going to see a huge difference in results. But don't offer more than two options. And if you see that the eyes are stop in one specific piece, shut your mouth. That's one key mistake. We think because we are selling, we need to keep talking. That's not true. We need to allow the brain to go around and think about, yes, I can afford. They're, they're thinking. They think about objections. They're thinking if they have the money or not, if it's going to look good in their garden or not. And you're talking and, again, screwing up that, that, that sale. Be quiet. And then they will break, hopefully, that silence, not you. And they will come up with an objection that can be, uh, I don't know, maybe it's too expensive for me. Or a, something like that. They, they tend to come with an excuse about money, not because they think it's expensive. It's because it's an easy excuse to get out. Okay? And then you say, but compared to what? To the moments you're going to enjoy this beautiful thing? To the value it's going to acquire over the years because it's a piece of art? You see, and then you compare and you, you talk about that objection and move on and make the sale. But there is a time that you really need to be quiet. Selling is not about talking like a car salesman. I think most of you know that how unpleasant it is to go buy a car. Uh, it's really understanding the other. And the moment they are, f 
thinking about something, let them think. And when they decide for the first one, don't say, would you like to get the $20? It's really affordable. If people want to give you money, let them. Let them give you money. Don't, don't try, because I also see this all the time. The person's already saying they want piece A for that price, and the person comes offering something cheaper. Because again, in their mind, they are judging their audience. Uh, Cindy is saying, uh, you're the master. Thanks for the advice. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, I know it's a lot more fun to have an artist, and we are going to have another artist next week. Actually, a super artist. Uh, maybe you have heard of Dolly Mamas. You should go check her out. And we are going to have her here, uh, not here in the studio, but here with us. And we are going to visit, because not only she's an amazing artist, she was able to create a whole line of products related to her art. How cool is that? Because that's another thing that we should talk at some other point, uh, generating more revenue channels in your own business without having to do things that are different. So she's a master at that, and she did that with her own business, and she'll be here with us next week. And after that, we have Jack Hoke, and I, I hope I'm saying his name right. He does crystal intaglio. You have to see this. And then he does a silver's meeting that is in a whole other level. You don't want to miss him whatsoever. So Dolly Mama next week, and then the next one, Jack. And I hope you enjoy. If you have any questions, let me know. I have one question here I'm going to read. Any advice on how to draw customers to your stall when they appear nervous to approach? Yes, uh, Claire. Yes, there, there's a lot, a lot, actually. I actually wrote a manual for another industry just on bazaars. Uh, so yes, I know a lot. I can give you one, for the sake of time, one example. One of the big problems with bazaars and fairs as a whole is that everybody's used to have the chair here and the table here with the pieces. Well, the problem with that is the table itself is an obstacle. It detaches you from the customer. So it's very easy for, and they know you're going to approach them to sell anyway, right? So they try to walk as far as possible from you, and they look and they adjust the glasses to see your pieces, but they don't come close because they know the ritual. The ritual is fair, bunch of tables like this. I go around and every single person wants to talk me to, uh, into buying something. They know the ritual, so you have to break their ritual. One simple way is removing that table from that position. That's a terrible position to be in. So you can, even if it's just one table, you have to see if the place allows, you can remove to the side. You create then all these uh, walls here where people can flow. And, and then if you don't stay there looking like, I'm a hawk and I'm going to get your money, you, you remove yourself a little bit, you approach when it's necessary, they will feel comfortable going. But there are many other tips. Actually, that's a very good topic for another podcast. So next time my guest doesn't show up, guess what? We'll be talking about bazaars and trade shows. That's super fun. But there's a lot, a lot. And unfortunately, I go to trade shows of all industries because, like I told you, we, we, we almost don't work anymore as a consultant, but we have clients still. But we go to check. The ones on art are the worst. Right? Even though they have the most amazing pieces, it's the type of uh, fair that you have the pleasure of being there because you're seeing color, you're seeing movement, you're seeing creation, all that's very cool. Uh, the artists tend to do a very bad job, very bad job. To, from everything, from sitting on a chair and reading the newspaper, you pay, sometimes you pay $100,000 to be in a spot and you're reading the newspaper. I mean, don't get me started on that. But they do a bad job on that. So besides the connection, a structure process, and some way of getting their information so that you can revisit them 
you are in control of your business, so you should have a way to revisit them later. Be by what means necessary, business cards, uh, newsletter, a drawing. We, 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 when we used to do uh, this type of trade shows, we always had a drawing going on because I want those business cards. Yes, I want. Uh, they are important. They still are important. Don't believe what people tell you. Uh, I, I, I know, and I, I, I sense this on Curious Mondo, that we have a family. I mean, those people, I know where they live. I know their names. If there is a fire in a place like in California or, or something, I call them, I write them, and I say, are you okay? I know you live there. I have a real relationship, and I know they have to, even the ones I don't talk to all the time. That's what we want as a business. Okay? Not only more pleasant as a business in itself, but it's healthy. But if I just try to use technology, and tell me, I know technology, my business is based on that, but if we keep that distance, uh, there is no connection. And when I'm selling emotions, which is a piece of art, my friend, if I don't have a connection, there's nothing there. Even though you might be very talented, there's nothing there you're not going to sell. So ask Van Gogh about that, right? He didn't sell one single piece during his life, not because he was not talented, he was extremely talented, right? But he had social issues. So think about that. Think about how you can create rituals in a business, what points of contact you can have, what the, what's the story you can tell that would resonate to people? Tiny bits, seconds. It doesn't have to tell the whole story, the whole 70 years, you don't have to do that, but pieces that you think could create a connection, and then structure that in such a way that they make sense. Like Beverly does, she introduced herself, hi, I am Beverly, I became an artist after 60. And she can stop, because questions will follow, connections will be made. I hope you have enjoyed. Join me and Dolly Mama next Tuesday, 2.30, right here. I hope to see you again. I'm Shahar, signing out. Or not, because if nobody cuts me, I'll be here. <laughs> I think they're going to cut me at some point. <laughs>